This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Walking the line between confidence and humility is one of the trickiest things to do in filmmaking, but also one of the most crucial to finding real collaborative success on a sustained basis. And we all want that, right? My guest today on the No Film School podcast helps us figure out how to do it. I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School and host of this, the No Film School podcast. And my guest today is Paul Feig. If you aren't familiar with Paul by name, you're certainly familiar with him by work or influence. He started out as a stand-up comic, which I didn't know until we did this interview. But what you probably most know him for is Freaks and Geeks or Arrested Development or Bridesmaids or a host of other projects he's been involved in. Paul has this uncanny ability to be ahead of the curve. So a lot of his things were amazing and underappreciated at the time. And then like on a little delay, people start to realize, oh my God, this show's incredible. And why didn't it last longer? Or this guy's a genius. And it keeps being like that for Paul. He talks to us today about this crazy needle threading of the confidence, no confidence thing. Confident enough to know when you don't know anything. And that bizarre mix of traits that you have to have to be a great collaborator and leader on set, and especially when it comes to comedy and understanding what bit you thought was going to be great and maybe isn't and how to replace it and how to work with collaborators. Paul breaks all that down for us and a lot more. Plus, he talks about his new project, The School of Good and Evil, which is on Netflix, and you can watch it now. So here we go. Paul Feig on the No Film School podcast. Hi, Paul. Hey, Thank good you so much you. for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, it's an honor to have you. You are uh, one of the one of the greats, and you've done so much amazing, amazing work on amazing stuff. And it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I I want to talk about the school for good and evil, but I kind of want to go back first and just ask you about getting started. Mm-hmm. And you know, for no film school and for our audience in particular, you know, like what were kind of the early first things that got you headed on this path to being a writer director and to getting your first show we'll talk about that soon but yeah no i mean it was i always wanted to be in the business <laughs> ever since i was like a, a kid like five years old you know i was in the school play and got big laughs and like I just you know was completely hooked and you know always wanted to be in comedy i wanted to be a comedy performer and so was you know did all plays and stand up and all that kind of thing and then just kind of as i went along and, and had this you know I, I, then i became a professional stand up com- comedian in the 80s for did it like for 5 years i didn't know that yes from 85 to to 90 i was uh, on the on the circuit <laughs> doing stand up <laughs> and making my living at it which was really fun but i learned a lot about audiences 
you know, doing that and, and sort of the ebb and flow of an audience as I worked towards being a headliner and doing an hour every night, you know, and, and that was really invaluable for, for becoming a director because you started to see how to test things out on an audience and, you know, how the way you would build an act, you would test a joke and then you try a different one the, the next night. And, you know, so we do that in our test screenings now, you know, when we're replacing jokes and putting new ones in. So then, so from stand-up, I became an actor. And when I was an actor on all these different TV shows that all got canceled, but I was, you know, in there, I would always, you know, befriend the writers and the director and, and kind of watch what they did. And, and, you know, I would write an episode for them on spec and they would read it and give me notes and stuff. And uh, yeah, but then it was finally when I was on a show called Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which was a hit. And I thought, oh, finally, I've got a hit show so I can just you know relax. I got written out after the first season. So that was the moment I was like, you know what? I'm going behind the camera. I've always wanted to do it. I went to film school for it. So, uh, and I'm so Where'd glad. Where'd you I go? I went to USC. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a okay. USC film grad in the, the last year of the bungalows. So that, I was there 82 to 85. That was, that was the original USC film school was this little bungalow in the middle of the campus. And it was only like 20 to 30 students per, per year. Uh, and I got in and then. You went to USC for film school before the comedy world, before the performing, before oh, all the yeah. acting. Oh my God. I was, yeah, I okay. was, it was in- I was such an outcast at, at, at film school because I wanted to do comedies. And literally, <laughs> I mean, I was the weirdo. <laughs> like I would make cartoons and these barely dumb comedy movies and everybody else wanted to be Godard and you know, all this stuff. And they just, they sure. were just so amused that I was such this weird weirdo <laughs> that wanted to make people laugh. <laughs> What were the comedies growing up? What was kind of the like comedy is what it is. And I love this comedy and it, and it inspires me and I want to do it. Like what were the things that it moved you? Well, I mean, I was like the Marx brothers fanatic and Laurel and Hardy and, you know, three stooges, all that kind of stuff. Warner brothers cartoons were just my, you know, I went crazy for those, but then there's a movie called what's up doc that kind of blew me out of the water. Uh, Bogdanovich. Know, yeah, Bogdanovich yeah, is, yeah. you know, his his tribute yeah. to screwball comedies, which I'd never yeah. seen screwball comedies. So ah. I just like, I, so I, that was my Star Wars. Like I my, made my mom <laughs> take me to that movie. I'd like nine times, you know, in a movie theater. And just, Did you go back and watch like all the like bringing up babies and, oh, the, yeah. and you were like, well, that's oh, the this thing. Is then you go back mind. and you're like, oh my God, yeah. that's where that joke comes from. And yeah, His Girl Friday yeah. and all that stuff. And so yeah. it's all that stuff has had the biggest influence on me. You know, I never, I never watched, I didn't even like to watch serious films. I like, like refused to watch dramas or anything. I just wanted to absorb comedy. It's all I cared it's, about. It's so funny. You, the first thing you mentioned was the Marx Brothers, because when you were describing learning the beats and learning the rhythm, the first thing I thought of was the Marx Brothers taking their bits out on the road. Yeah. And then when they would make the movie, they would know, because I always thought that was fascinating. They would know how to craft the comedy knowing where an audience laughs yeah, yeah and knowing how to ride that wave yeah without on, having on, them on there. the vaudeville on the vaudeville circuit it was yeah it, it's you gotta because i mean you know it, it's what i go through every time i make a movie it, it's like you think you know what the funny jokes are going to be but then you get alternate ones because the one you think is going to kill is the one that doesn't kill and you're just like oh my god you know but you have to be confident enough to have no confidence in yourself you know Interesting. That's an interesting uh, paradox there. Can you explain that a little bit more? Like the confidence that I have no confidence? No, because you have to go into something going like, I know what I'm doing. I know how to make this good. You know, and we have the script. We're working on the script. I think we got the funniest stuff in here. But then when you get there, go, okay, let's not just shoot that one joke. Like, I don't know if that's going to work or not. I'm I'm pretty confident it will, but I don't know. It could completely bomb. So let's, let's keep feeding jokes. 
you guys come up with, you know, the actor has a joke, they feed me, you know, or sometimes I'll have another writer on the set and they're handing me jokes on post-it notes. So we're getting enough stuff. So when we get into that, you know, that test screening situation and go, here comes the big one. I know it's going to kill. And it's like, oh, that got like a titter. All right, take it out. Put this one in. And it's usually the jokes. So many times the joke, you go like, I don't know if that's going to work. Like goes through the roof, you know? And occasionally, really? occasionally I'm good at, you know, there's always like a few things I go, I know this is going to kill. And like it does. Like there's one in in School for Good and Evil. Michelle Yeoh has this one line that I, I wrote it. And I remember going like, okay, this is going to kill just because. At this moment, people want this joke, the release of this joke. So interesting. So that I'm confident about. But yeah, most jokes I'm not confident about. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, like, for example, something like Bridesmaids, where it's a classic comedy where it's just like, like I said, there's this feeling of riding a wave where you almost wonder, like, there's a magic trick happening with the writer-directors where they seem, and the performers, where it's like they seem to know how to build it let it crescendo, let it come down and then give you a little bit, you know, like, yeah. how do you, how do you do that in an editing room? Like, how do you edit it and not, and, and, and knowing it intimately, like it's one thing to try and edit drama. That's hard enough. Right. Yeah. But how to edit joke timing like that? Like, what are the tricks? What are the, what do you do? How, how? <laughs> well, it's all musical. It's really, I mean, that's always all we're ever saying in, in the editing room is like the math is off or like the, the beat isn't right. Like the rhythm's mm. off. I'm always like the rhythm's off, you know, if we do something. So it's like getting that rhythm and, you know, it comes from the performers. You have to get it. It has to be in the script. You know, you have to have that build in there, but then it's, it's about making everything look effortless. You know, the reason why comedy never wins awards is because if you do it right, it looks easy, you know, because it can't be sweaty. That's the term we have in comedy. Like that's really sweaty. You go like, you just see this thing working so hard to be funny and everybody's just like, Oh, enough, (laughs) you know, but if you get it right and go like that, you know, then people are like, well, you just showed up. You're funny. It's like, okay, you believe what you want to believe. Yes, it just seems like that it was the easiest, laziest thing in the world. Yeah, they didn't work for it. <laughs> well, you know the, the number one, the number one uh, example of this is you know Steve Carell never won an Emmy for The Office, never right. won the Emmy because and people I would ask people about it, they go like, well, no, he just he just shows up and he's like crazy, right? He's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like Steve Carell <laughs> is nothing like Michael Scott. I mean, like he works so hard to make that character seem real and effortless and you get rewarded with nothing, you know? It's the, it's also like paradox of being like a straight man and, or a straight woman or a straight person in a comedy bit where nobody ever gives them the credit for doing anything. Yeah. Like, but the wacky guys, the jokes, and you're like, oh man, like oh, no, it's totally. so hard to, to build the the house that the other person's crushing, basically. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Totally. You know, I mean, you know, it, Carell lost almost every year to Alec Baldwin, who's very funny, but that part of Jack Donahue on 30 Rock is a very showy, you know, mm-hmm. big role. And it's kind of like, all right, you know, so I just, you know, I'm such team Steve Carell that it was, uh, I still I still cannot believe that he never got an Emmy for that show. He only well, got one I, Golden I feel Globe, like- that was it. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of speaks to a lot of the kind of work you've done, because when you do something like like Freaks and Geeks, uh, The Office, Arrested Development, I mean, Freaks and Geeks was all it was you, but these other ones too, like there's a lot of understated 
comedy. There's a lot of human comedy yeah. sometimes nestled in drama that it's like harder for people to see, harder for people to appreciate what's being done there. How do you keep carrying the flag for that kind of thing or, or carrying your <laughs> banner when it's like over and over again, people kind of are just like, yeah. they don't respect, like people later came to the party on all these things and they were like, Arrested Development's a genius and Freaks yeah. and Geeks was amazing. But it's like, yeah, okay, thanks, oh, I, know. I guess. I know. I'm, I, I always say, I'm, always, I'm so tired of being on stuff that, you know, becomes a cultural icon later because it means you right. bombed at first, you know, you're just like, oh, fuck. But no, I mean, you can only, I can only do what I think is funny. And I have a very you know specific sense of humor that in the nineties, I was kind of like, I felt lost because everything was very big and broad and over the top, you know? And I just like, I just don't, I find it funny, but I just don't want to do that. It's, it's not my bread and butter. So when the, the aughts came in and I, I still say that YouTube is the thing that affected comedy the most because we were suddenly watching real people getting hurt or, you know, or, or caught in yeah. a moment. And it was all very behavioral. So comedy went from being joke-based to being very behavior-based, you know, and that's where, why The Office suddenly mm. took off. But I mean, The Office mm. in the beginning, people were like, oh, it's crazy. Like the camera's zooming around. It's like, yeah, you're watching reality TV. I think you can handle it. And then people got used <laughs> to that and that became their thing, you know? So, but, it, but who knows? Who knows where comedy's going to go next? You know, I mean, it's very behavioral now. And I th think it's why, a lot of movie comedies don't do well at the moment because they look like comedies. And that's why I'm always, all my movies, I'm trying to hide the, hide the comedy in another genre so that yes. you don't realize it's going to be funny, like Simple Favor, you know, that kind of thing. But I was going to say, so, you know, talking about School of Good and Evil, you know, young adult novel, like yeah. huge following and like a very popular property. And that's kind of, in a lot of ways, that's the direction of what, what's happening now. You know, yeah. that's what's happening for filmmakers. So how do you get involved in that? And did you come into it and be like, you know, I'm going to bring my, you know, I want to call it my subversive secret comedy or whatever you call right. it, like that, that your take, your flavor, because you have a very distinct voice, you know? Yeah. Well, thanks. Like I mean, when I read the project, I saw that it could take that, you know, there, there was already some, some lightness and, and, and funny moments in it. And then when I read the books, you know, someone puts a lot of like funny, you know, funny situations in there. So I was like, oh, good, this can handle it. It was just like when I did Simple Favors, like when I read that, I was like, okay, Anna Kendrick's character is funny. You know, she's this nerdy mom. So I can, that's where my humor can go is putting her in these extreme situations and how she's going to react to that. And it was the same with this. I go like, I'm going to get in a big fantasy world. I got to do, you know, I love this story. I love these characters. I love the, you know, the message of the movie. But now I can, I can inject into this genre, the comedy where I can though. But it's, the, the hardest thing with doing any of these is you can't just put in jokes randomly because a ill-timed joke will blow the entire scene because then yeah, you're like... it's not airplane. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. It's not a satire. And I never want to do parody right. or satire. So, right. like, you know, somebody, I, I see it happen in comedies all the, or movies all the time. They jam in a joke and then you're like, wait, what? Like, it, it jars you and you're like, well, are they taking this serious or not? Like, what are the stakes mm -hmm. here? You know, it's all about the, you know, the stakes is the most overused word in development. All your, every executive says it all the time, yeah. but it is true. Like if you lose those stakes, you're rooting for something and worried about something. And suddenly somebody does something that says, wait, is this serious or not? Then it blows the whole movie for me. How do you sell, you're talking about executives. How do you sell them on this? Is, Cause it's so hard to say like genre mixing at all feels like something that's tricky. How do yeah. you sell people on like, I'm going to do it 
and I'm not going to blow the, <laughs> you know, the stakes. And I, because, you know, you say like, sometimes it's a joke is in there and it ruins it. Sometimes it's just the attempt at a joke. Yeah. And we're like, oh, come on. Yeah. Really? Now? You know? Totally. So how do you sell them on that? Like, I can do it. I have the deft hand. Like, how do you pull that off? Yeah. Well, first of all, the, 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 the phrase, oh, come on, is the most deadly phrase that can happen to an audience. And that's the thing I'm always <laughs> terrified of because audiences will right. go like, oh, come on, really? And that's, that's when you've lost them. No, what I do is I actually, I don't, I don't let them know it's going to be a comedy, you know, because <laughs> you, you basically go like, here's the genre, you know, and you write it that way. And occasionally I'll get notes of like, is that supposed to be funny in there? Like, well, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, we'll try it, you know, let's see what happens. And then I get, look, I'm again, confident enough to not be confident. I go, like, okay, let's get it without the joke. You know, let's make sure we have this so the jokes can be mm. pulled out. Because I see. they may bump, but I, I'm not going to go into the editing room without having the possibility of getting a laugh or getting a joke in here if it's additive to the to the story. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a couple in 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 uh, School for Good and Evil that really make me laugh that are very very tossed off, but they kind of work because they're on point for where a character is at the moment. So. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like there were times when I remember watching, and this is a great show. You, one of the great shows you didn't have anything to do with, but you had so much great. But I remember watching Breaking Bad and thinking, like, this is funny. Like, like, I mean, nobody is saying that, but this stuff's funny sometimes. No, Vince Gilligan is part of everything. I sat with them. (laughs) It's funny when the year we, we, I think Bridesmaids was up for or or got an AFI award, and they were also lauding um, Breaking Bad. And they showed a scene from Breaking Bad where remember with the wheelchair and it blows, you know, they blow up uh, yeah. Esposito. Vince Gilligan, Gilligan and his guys were laughing the entire time they were watching the buildup in that scene. I go like, yeah, this is a comedy for you guys because you're in you're in control of these crazy things, you know, and it it's, just, you find it funny. I, people who make horror movies must just laugh in the editing room the entire time. I mean, you mentioned Looney Tunes and there's a lot of Looney Tunes yeah. <laughs> like in that, in that, in that wheelchair and in Breaking Bad. Oh my God, Bad. totally, totally. Yeah. But I love and, that and they I mean, know you, it's funny, you know? Yeah. You talked about also, cause that also reminds me music, talking about using music and the mathematical element yeah. of it. Um, when you're, you know, setting up and creating a world, this is big, big time world building stuff, you know, and you're combining all these elements and you're working in this kind of like you're trying to create something that's going to go on and on. How do you kind of like, you know, find the drama and the, like, you know, you're kind of mixing and matching and sketching it all out across this world. Like, what are your, some of your, like, uh, you know, this is how I'm going to approach world building in school of good. Like no one's seen it really. Like first time you're going to see it. Well, I mean, for me, part it's partly, you know, knowing what has come before and wanting to avoid that. You know, it's Harry Potter hung very big over this movie because it's about a magical yeah. school. You know, I mean, you can't can't get away from that. So it's more. I feel like everything in my my career is a reaction to things that I've seen that I want to do the opposite of. You know, 
uh, whether it's go like I could make this better or just go, I just want to make it different. Like, I don't want to do that. Or, or I don't necessarily like that genre. If I get to do that genre, I'm going to do all the thing. I'm going to take out all the things I don't like and put in the things that I would want to see out of it. So it, it kind of builds from there, you know? And how hard is it? Again, it's like, I imagine it's so hard because there's so much of the give me the same thing only different in the industry. That's such a standard. Like, isn't it hard to come in and be like, I know you're doing this property partly because of the popularity of this thing, but I'm going to zag. Like, you're the ultimate zagger, right? Right, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, so... <laughs> well, I how do you like, how do you how do you package that? Well, I I mean I you know you have to work with good people who get it you know and Netflix has been so good about this and you know Scott Stuber and Nick Nesbitt you know who are in charge of this they they they, they get it you know they, and so they're open to it and you know and you know it was nice that Scott when I first talked to him about this he was like look we want to make this like an anti Disney picture picture and I was like good because I I said that was going <laughs> to be my thing I'm going to say like I'm not going to make you a kids movie I don't want to do that. I want this to be kind of right. dark, but still fun. You know, I always want my movies yeah. to be fun. That's the number one word I want to associate with any movie I do is it's fun. But then from there, you just have to really, you know, be true to the to the genre. You know, if you if I go in facing any of these like comedies and not a fantasy genre, then I'm dead and I'm going to completely screw up the thing. I have to go like this. Be religious to the, the genre, but then where are the holes in the genre where I can find the thing? Because all my comedy comes from people reacting to an extreme situation, being stuck in an extreme situation. And if they are extreme characters, all the more fun. But the jokes mostly land when they're like us either going like, I would have said that, or that's, that was my observation on this weird thing, or an extreme character saying something that's so outrageous to somebody that you're like, okay, you know, it's like the weird person, you know, who is funny, but you still believe that they're actually a weirdo. So I feel like that kind of touches on this idea of contrast. Like either the world is crazy and the person's quote unquote normal or the person's crazy and the world is normal, but you have to find some contrast to play in. Yeah. Right. And, and does that, do you kind of hold the consistent pattern or do you each scene, do you look at and you kind of think, okay, what's the thing that's out of whack and what's the thing that's in line and how are they mingling to create drama slash comedy? Like dramatic yeah. irony. Well, I mean, you have to be consistent. You know, the, the biggest problem that happens in movies is if you set a tone and then you change the tone or mm. you set a character and you know the rules of that character and how they think and then suddenly they do something that you're like, wait, wh why did they do that? You know? If if it's why do they do that? Oh, I'm going to find out, and I agree with it, or I'm so surprised by it. Great, but if you're just like, wait, what the fuck? You know, why did that person <laughs> do this? That's not at all. You know, then you're like, okay, nobody's in charge of the storytelling in this. So you just right. have to make sure that you really keep that internal lot. You set up. You know, you can make a movie as crazy as you want as long as you set the rules in the first five minutes. You know, I mean, I, I love Moulin Rouge. You know that movie. I, I know people yeah. who had walked out of that movie in the first 10 minutes are like, it's crazy with all the sound effects, and all this stuff. But I was like, no, Baz is setting up a world in which that is normal. And so once you go yeah. like, oh, that's the world I'm in, then you're like, I'm in. But if he then changed it in the middle and go like, and now it's, you know, the, the heavy costume drum or whatever, you'd be like, wait, what the hell just happened? So, you and know. you feel that first five minutes is the critical period. Is it true? Like script wise too, you just feel like you got to set your tone and set what the bar is for normal and what behavior yeah. is and what your language is. It's like the legend on a map. You go like, here are the terms of this map, you know, and all the symbols, this is what they mean. Yeah. That, that, you know, I, I, I have one of my things. I always say like, you got to shoot a movie out of a cannon. That's always been my thing. Like we need a big opening scene, just something that's going to pull you in. 
and be fun. You can't ease into a movie anymore. Like, you know, some of my favorite old movies, you're like, wow, that's a slow opening. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it's really, you know, you get into some of those early ones and it's hilarious that way. So, yeah, but then, yeah, then you got to set those rules and go like, this is the world we're in and come along for the ride. If you don't want to come along for the ride, cool, you know, but uh, this, this, this is the ride really you're going to be on. really good point because this also comes up with the Netflix thing. Like they had you, you showed up to the theater, you already paid. You're like, I'm, I'm here for, I'll give you 10, 15 minutes. I'm here. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like at home, it's like, I got my phone. I got other streaming platforms. So how does that, that, that obviously plays into everything when yeah. you're, you're working at this level and at this time frame, do you, you got to think about it? Do you even think about it? Like scene to scene? Like I got to keep them here. Oh yeah. It, it, here. This is my first movie for streaming and it is terrifying. I mean, that hangs over your head so much because you're like, yeah, that thing you're like, oh my God, like they could literally just click this off in 10 seconds. <laughs> like, I don't like, look at, you know, but at a certain point you're like, we can only make, we can only do what we're going to do. and either you're going to come along for the ride or you're not. And I can't dangle a million shiny things in front of you. If mm. you're just not going to, it's not something you're going to engage in, you know? And so you have to be aware of it, but then go like, okay, I just got to free myself of it. Because also there's a the thing of like, you know, when people watch at home, I don't know when they're going to get them to go to the bathroom. I don't know. They're going to wander <laughs> off you know, to do something. And then they come back. Well, I didn't understand this. It's like, well, yeah, you were in the bathroom for 10 minutes. Like, but you can't shore up against that. I can't keep restating story points every five minutes because somebody might wander off to, you know, get a donut out of the, out of the kitchen. So, you know, so you, at a certain point you have to go like, we just got to make a movie, you know, and, and I hope we make the best, most engaging movie we can. Do you think that it, it should or will kind of change the format, like change the structure of how a movie works? And do you think like the way you approach it as streaming? I mean, I, I feel like that knowing the streaming debut date and are people going to pay attention so much to numbers the same way? Like everything's kind of up in the air and changing now. Like how do you as an artist kind of look at it? I mean, you did just say like, we still got to make a good movie, but yeah. like, how do you kind of approach the format? Do you think about changing up, you know, what you do? No, I, I, I honestly, I feel like my, my uh, theory on how to make a movie fits quite well with the streaming service, just because of that wanting, always wanting to start it big you know, and keep it engaging and go into it. You know, once you've hooked people, you're good. It's just the hooking, yeah. hooking of the audience is the hardest thing because that's why I love movies. And, you know, I love TV, but I, my passion has always been to make movies because it's the hardest thing in the world to tell a complete story in two hours because you are literally in those first five minutes, you have to introduce the audience to a bunch of people they don't know, they have no investment in whatsoever and make them immediately go like, oh, I care about this person. You know, and then then you got to take them through a complete story and you have to end it in a way that is satisfying to them, you know, and, and so they've had a complete, complete journey with these characters. And that's really hard. You know, a TV show is great, but you can kind of once you hook them in, like then you can tell a story for, you know, years and, and just keep dragging along. Yes, because we keep coming back to those figures. But when you do the movie, you really have to satisfy us. And like, we have to yeah. say goodbye. Like sometimes when, when I watch a TV series, I go like, they don't know how they're going to end this. But when I go to see a movie, I go, they know how they're going to end it because I'm going to see the ending. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I guess kind of last question, because we're running out of time and I really appreciate it. If you were advising somebody today who's like, I'm trying to get into movies specifically, how much things have changed since you started and what movies are. But what would you sort of say, like, get started to do, to, to experiment with, play with, like, to get involved in? Like, where would you, where would you direct someone? I'd direct them right to this. <laughs> I would. I'm telling you, you got HD camera in here. 
you can shoot something. I, I spent $35,000 in 1997 to shoot a, a, my first feature film that I shot in a field with four people waiting around one day, you know, no costume changes or anything. But I still had to pay $35,000 for 16 millimeter film and, and processing. Yeah. Now you can take this, you know, take your phone. It'll look a thousand times better than anything I shot that way. Go to your computer. You got iMovie on there or whatever it is. Edit the thing. You got the internet. You can distribute it. There it is. <laughs> so start, it's just make it. Like, there's no excuse not to make stuff. If you're driven to be a filmmaker, you're going to make a film. You're not going to wait around for somebody to like, you know, give you, you know, a million dollars to do it. If you could shoot some experimental thing and just find your voice. And if it's not good, put it away. Don't necessarily put everything you do out on the internet. Like, like make sure it's good, <laughs> right? you know, but yeah. yeah, there's no excuse to not do it now. And, and, and you will be found. I mean, if you put something, we find people in our company all the time, actors and all this online, you know, the lead of my show, welcome to flash is this girl who was doing comedy on Twitter in her car. You know, and she was like the only person that was right for the lead of this show. And now she's, you know, the lead on a TV show. So, you know, that's awesome. It, yeah. It just get out there and do it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the movie and look forward to talking to you on the next thing. You so, got it. And yeah, thanks, and thanks for the great interview. It was really fun. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Paul, for coming on the show. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. You can find out all kinds of things about filmmaking, news, tech, tips, tricks, fun stuff, whatever you want in the world of filmmaking and content creation at nofilmschool.com. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Head over to Instagram. We're there, too. Obviously, here on YouTube. Please like, rate, and subscribe to this channel. Please also like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. We are wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube now. Leave a comment and let us know what you think and send us your questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. We love to answer them on our weekly show, which releases on Thursdays or Fridays. And these interviews release Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Sometimes we have special episodes. It all depends on what's happening in the wide world of filmmaking. Thanks so much 